Hey everybody, this is Mandy and you're listening to the Empower Podcast, the show that discusses everything mental health, real stories, strategies, and ways to improve your overall mental health. If you or someone you know could use a little mental health boost, join us as we chat about all things that encompass a healthy mind. All right. Welcome back to the Empower podcast. We're so excited to have another special guest with us today. Um, Dave Gluskin is a father of two, classically trained cellist, DJ, electronic music producer, one half of the group Audio Trap, and owner of Electrocell Studios, where he offers, among other things, one-on-one and group training opportunities for aspiring musicians and creatives. He's a good friend of my husband's and has agreed to come on and chat with us today about some of his life experiences, things he's learned and ways that he's grown throughout the life stuff. Um, He and Rob met on Twitch, um, which is an online streaming service during COVID. They started becoming more involved with Twitch, mm, Twitch, Twitch, by streaming DJ sessions. Of course, everyone um, was quarantined or had limited places to go and limited things to do. And so this just became an outlet for them um, and many others as a way to grow friendships despite the pandemic and uh, the quarantine. So anyway, let's go ahead and dive right in with Dave's story and learn more about his life and experiences. So let's get started by just letting you talk a little bit about your childhood and what that looked like. Let's see here. I was I was a child of children. Um, my uh, my parents were my mom was I think nineteen when she had me. My dad was twenty twenty one something like that. I you know at the time you're like oh they're adults and then when you hit nineteen you're like my god if I had had a child right now you know it's like the the inability to parent yourself let alone another human being um, is uh, is is pretty pretty hard to fathom and I, I you know that's something I didn't really reflect on until later in life but um, you know so it kind of gave them I guess a little bit of a hall pass uh, you know or at least a little bit of a better uh, understanding but um, yeah I mean I, I have a, a younger brother uh, who's two and a half years uh, younger than me I was uh, um, kind of instilled overachievement you know um i was uh you know kind of the bright kid uh you know the gifted kid i started kindergarten you know at like i don't know six months before i turned five and could read and knew my alphabet and all this stuff at you know that young and um but just very kind of awkward uh parents were just um very my father especially was very kind of you know very demanding you know it was uh i felt And I always I always try to frame things with I felt or my perception was because, you know, uh, this is just the way I experience things. If if they weren't as bad or if they were worse, whatever, if they were different, it it doesn't matter. But my experience of it was uh, I always seemed to never uh, do enough. You know, it was like you, you know, you get all A's and a B. It wasn't really like you killed it. It was more like, well, what happened here? How did you end up with a B? And it's like so. Of course, uh, me being very kind of uh, a highly sensitive human being, um, I, I took this to heart and and just really um, internalized a lot of that. And so throughout my life, it was always like better, 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 better. You know, never I did not ever learn to celebrate. I never learned to look at my achievements and go, "Hey, you did a good job." I was always like, "Well, you could have done that better." You know, you I, I always found the one thing, and and cool. It 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 helped me to really like push myself it also drove me crazy 
uh, and and really made most of the things that I did kind of, you know, the happy things definitely had an overtone of unhappiness to them. Uh, they had a, a bit of a blanket uh, or a veil sort of, you know, you could see through it, but it was still everything was a bit um, warped, I guess you could say. Um, so, you know, growing up, I, you know, gifted kid uh, started to, but then I, I always knew very young music kind of was a thing for me and, and found my way into kind of art. And so uh, music and performing, doing musical theater were kind of my thing growing up. Um, I sort of found them on my own. My parents were not like, oh, you need to play an instrument. Uh, if anything, it was more like you need to have a real job, you know. Uh, so I pursued, it was pretty much, I went to school, uh, when I got a little bit older and was able to kind of drive my own life, if you will, I, I went to school and then I did, I played instruments and sung at school all day. And then I went into theater all night and just like, that was my life was school, theater, school, theater, tried to not spend as much time as home as I could. My parents were kind of, you know, when you get married that young and you have kids that young, uh, uh, you know, you're not really sure who you are. Uh, they probably didn't know who they were and still were trying to figure it out. And it was a, it was a very um, uh, unpleasant relationship at times between the two of them that, uh, you know, my, my brother and I were unfortunately caught in. It's uh, at times they divorced, remarried a couple of times. It was, it was very unstable to put it mildly. So my stability was art. Um, I, I could have taken a left or a right in life because I really didn't have a lot of support. I really had very little nurturing. Um, you know, I was self-soothing from, you know, a very, very, very young age. Really didn't have anyone to rely on or count on. I couldn't go, hey, I had a bad day and expect to get a, oh, come here, let me hold you. It was more of a, well, what did, what did you do to make it a bad day, you know, and how could you have done, you know, it was, it was that kind of an environment. So I really just learned to internalize everything. But the theater really gave me an opportunity, an outlet, and sort of I could pretend to be somebody else for a period of time. And you know, excelled at that, excelled at, at, at voice, um, started to, uh, uh, you know, kind of started to sing at a, at a very um, high level, got a full vocal scholarship. Then I found dance music. And at 17, I moved out of the house already at like 14, 15. I was staying with families as much as I could to be away from the madness um, at, at home. And, uh, you know, was getting myself to school. I, you know, I've, made myself through everything. I, I, I just made sure that I did the things that I needed to do to keep my life going. And, um, but music was always there. I started uh, 20. I answered an ad in the paper, ended up in a recruiting office, uh, ended up building a career as an executive recruiter um, in human resources departments. And on the outside of that was at night and on the weekends, DJing, playing music, writing music, never gave up pursuing that dream. Uh, I should have been doing music for a living, but unfortunately I was uh, taught I guess you could say mildly that uh, that's no living for a smart person or anyone who wants to be a real member of society. So you need to go get a real job and don't don't think about doing that. Even though I was accepted to a school on Broadway, I was I had school I had lots of schools I could have gone and pursued that full time. But in my head was my the voice of you'll never make a living doing that and. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm here uh, at forty six, going. Oh, wish I'd have done that a long time ago. Which kind of brings us to right now. You know, so um, I, uh, you know, I got married very young as well. Um, I met my my ex wife at eighteen. Uh, we got married at twenty three. We didn't have kids till we were thirty. Uh, so I have a fifteen year old and a ten year old now. And uh, about five years ago, we split up. Uh, you know, and divorced. And that was kind of the time when it all sort of like settled in and I went, you know, what, what am I doing? Who am I? Cause I realized I always lived my life to other people's expectations and, and wants and desires. You know, my first was my dad and then it was her, you know, make sure. Cause that was, 
unfortunately, that was how I uh, sort of defined love growing up was achievement. You know, if you do, then you get love instead of just being loved for being, you know, like, hey, if you're just you just show up and be a good person, you're going to be taken care of, loved, supported. It was always OK, do that. But you also need to kick the crap out of everything you're ever given and be perfect. And if you're not, you know, you have room to improve. Precisely. So with that being said, you know, again, my perception was I'm not good enough for anything. And even though I'm really good at some of the things that I do, you know, I've, I've been really good at figuring out, hey, you're good at this and you're not good at that. So spend more time doing this and less time doing that. And so I sort of, you know, I, I, I'm a big proponent of that. Like if you're good at music, do music. If you're good at painting, do painting. I'm not a good at painting or drawing. I don't paint or if I paint or draw, I'm doing it because it's fun, not because I think I'm going to go sell it in a gallery or something. Um, you know, so, so as time went on, um, I, uh, was, I actually during the time, <laughs> during the time of the divorce, so check this out. I, I, I'm getting divorced. I I'm moving and uh, selling a house and I started a new job leading a team of 20 plus people who I'd never met before. Um, all, all like at the same, the, like literally the, the week we listed our house was the week I started my new job, my new leadership job, literally. So I've, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, of course, I can take it. You know that that's me. Uh, you know, just keep loading it on. Eventually, the knees gave out, and I, you know, ended up flattened by by a steamroller. Uh, shockingly, it took three months after that uh, before it all just sort of like exploded. Um, but once it exploded, I kind of saw that I had a space. You know, um, when you have a, a when you're able to jettison a lot of emotion, it it leaves you with some clarity that maybe you didn't have before. You know, you have all this energy you need to metabolize in your body. And once I did that, I was like, OK, cool. Now I can sort of see clearly what do I want for myself? You know, so then I started to really seek out how to fix myself because uh, I knew that regardless of what happened to me, it's not really what happens to you. It's how you take it, right? It's, it's, it's the sense you make of it. It's the way you perceive it. And if you can shift your perception, then the world shifts with it. Um, so that was when I sort of started to figure out like, okay, who are, who am I like in a bubble? Like who's Dave? Only Dave, um, not Dave, the son, Dave, the husband, Dave, the father, but who's just, if I'm sitting alone by myself, what am I? And that's some scary stuff, uh, sitting in a house and going, Oh, I can do anything I want. And I don't know what that is. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, to second your thoughts on getting married so young, I did the same thing. And anyone whom I've talked to since then, I'm like, you know, don't even think about getting married until you're 30 and then think long and hard still, because the person that you are at 20 is not the person that you are at 25 and is still not the person that you are at 30. And, you know, even 30 to 40, like you make, you can grow and change. And how are you supposed to be happy with someone else when you don't even know yourself? I just, it's just so, I don't know. I, it's unfathomable now. I did it. You did it. Rob did it. We've all done it. But it's like hindsight is like, oh my God. Like, I don't know. It, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the idea of growing separately, then there's growing together. The problem is when you're that young and you really don't haven't figured out how to grow as an individual, then it's all growing together. And in essence, you kind of absorb each other's identity. And there comes a point when you really need to be an individual. And if you haven't established what you are as an individual, then why are you telling me what to do when 
that's they're not telling you anything. They're just like, yo, this is the life we built over the last 15 years. Why are you all of a sudden deciding to do this instead of and maybe communication works. Um, most adults have a real difficulty with that, as we know, especially when emotions are involved. So shockingly, these things tend to combust and and you're left with two humans going, crap, what did I do wrong? Or I can't believe what they did wrong, depending on the type of human you are. Or a little bit of both, maybe. <laughs> Probably a mixture of all the things. <laughs> Probably. Um, so, you know, I kept working and I kept working on my music and I really just kind of focused into it once I got over the uh, the emotional aspects of music being tied to that whole life that I had and all the things that came with it. Um, you know, I, I sought out coaching uh, therapy. It kind of worked for me, but not so great. So I went and did life coaching, which was much more intense. And I, I really just got into mindfulness. Uh, I, I, you know, I've, I have um, some pretty significant anxiety. Um, I can get sucked into depression pretty heavily. You know, if I talk, you know, doctors would probably oh, take this, take this, take this. And I'm, I'd much rather think clearly and manage it myself. I feel like I have the strength to do that. So through, through meditation, I, I started meditating when my marriage started to crumble and I started to, because my mind was just impossible. So I started to take some time to understand that I was in fact separate, that this was just a automatic voice that runs in my head and that it's not actually me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm that person. You know, it's like you sit there quietly, it's going and you say, hello, how can you talk when you're also talking? You know, how can you talk to your, you know, so I started to create that separation that this is in fact something that sits inside me and started to learn so on and so forth. And over time, I went from being able to sit in a quiet room for five minutes, which I could never do up until like 40 or 41, um, to being able to sit in a quiet house all day now um, with with very little, if no, um, issue. You know, I'm not sitting there in my head all day. So that was one of the biggest things that helped me out. Um, but just understanding, you know, like like it's it's as I went on, I started to realize that it is about making myself happy. You know, you you people who are very selfless have like feel bad about doing things for themselves, like I'm. You know, it's like, oh, I'm a jerk. I should be helping you, not myself. You know, how could I do such a thing? Um, and so I really had to learn how to like, you know, treat yourself like you treat others, you know, like it's the complete, the opposite golden rule, you know? <laughs> um, so, so through that, you gain, you gain kind of that self-love. And like you were saying, how are you supposed to love someone else when you don't love yourself? How are you supposed to know someone else when you don't know yourself? Um, you know, so then I started to realize what I want to do. And, you know, music started to become much more important to me. And I, it had always been important, but as an outlet, not as like something I really like, I should, I've always, I should be doing this, but was always told, oh, you know, yeah. And well, now it was like, okay, well, I'm like in my forties, like no, no spring chicken anymore there, Bubba, you better get it moving. Um, so, so I started, uh, you know, really focusing in on trying to turn this music thing into something. And interestingly enough, COVID comes around, you know, so kind of to get back to the beginning of your story, um, you know, we go from being able to play every once in a while in a club, uh, you know, play music and as you see behind me, I got all my stuff back here. Um, going from that to there's nowhere's open. And so people start doing it online, you know, um, and slowly but surely the type of you, you, you kind of congregate with people that are like minded and you find people that are sitting at home listening to music that you like with you in these chat rooms and you start to, you know, create these very sort of um, surfacey relationships. But then a few you're like, well, you're, you know, you're 
we kind of have a lot in common here. There's there's some depth to the character here. Um, and that's how Rob and I sort of ended up connecting. Um, he and I have very similar sort of philosophical depth uh, as far as like the way we look at the world. We love to sit and talk about stuff that most people look at us and think we were weird as all get out. Um, anything from philosophical to theological discussions. Um, I just enjoy the depth of thought there. And so between us, we've we've gotten to know each other very well through this community of music that, quite frankly, none of us would have met each other were it not for COVID. So I have a huge thank you for COVID for that. I mean, it jacked a whole bunch of stuff up. But quite frankly, you, you got to shake up the snow globe every once in a while because sometimes thing you, you, when your furniture is sitting in the same spot all the time, you get those little those little dust squares around everything. And it's sometimes you want to clean that, maybe see what the room looks like some differently. So there's that. Um, there's all these negative pieces as well. But I'm thankful for it because it really rearranged my life in a very positive way and brought some people into my life that never would have been there and also brought some people to me that never would have found my music and my abilities. I'm not a very flashy dude. I'm not like, hey, look at me. Um, I'm much more of a, I like to just, I just like my art. I like to show you my art. And I have to go, hey, I've been practicing a lot. Check this out, you know? And I like people. So what Twitch gave me was the opportunity for people to just kind of sit in the living room with me and watch me do what I just, I practice doing and I do anyway. And it, I was able to connect with people because that's kind of my thing. Um, and through time, it's built, you know, I've built, I was able to build to a point where I had some people like what I write and I go and I write music and people listen to it and they go, oh, it's really good and da, da, da. And I, people want to learn from me. Like they, I connect with people on that regard and I love training people and I love teaching because nothing makes me happier than making someone else better, you know? So that's a way for me to not be selfish, but to also be selfish and give back and all those wonderful things because this is, I spent my whole life studying and learning this stuff. So what is it going to be? You know, first it was, I'm going to write music for people and help people in my studio. And I did that for a little bit and I still do that sometimes, but that's, difficult to sustain when you're a guy sitting in his living room writing a specific genre of music and then I started to realize as more people sat with me in the studio they went like why do you know all this stuff like how do you know all this stuff like well why are you because I learned most everything in a vacuum I don't sometimes I don't realize how much I know that other people maybe didn't figure out or learn or didn't figure it out the way I did because I kind of figured a bunch of stuff out myself. So as I sat with people less accomplished than more accomplished, and they're like, oh, you know what, you, you should be teaching people this, you should be showing people this. I, okay, well, let me start to see if some people want to pay me to learn from me. And I did some, you know, some freebies here, some freebies there. And then I started to charge people and people were like more than willing to pay. And that was a weird one for me because this is like, I like just giving, I'm like, Hey, I got cool stuff. I know this. I love to make you happy. And it puts more art in the world. It makes the world a better place, you know? Um, so then it just slowly morphed and it's like, oh, it's a business. And then somebody said, hey, you know, you should, it'd be dope if I could just spend a weekend with you and just like write music and do that. And I'm like, well, why don't I just do a retreat? Like nobody does this. So so I put a retreat together and I'm like, okay, I'm going to cap it at 10 people. And I threw it out there and people started signing up for it. So essentially I took all the things that I love. Oh, and Oh, let me let me just back up for a moment and tell you why all this became a necessity and not just a, a, a voluntary sort of, oh, this would be great. Um, 
I got laid off last year from my job. Uh, I was running a department. I led them through COVID, um, done some amazing things. Uh, things slowed down a little bit. And uh, when things slow down, companies, uh, especially ones that are, you know, larger in stature and are trying to recover from a huge economic issue that they had for a year and a half where they weren't bringing in any revenue, they go, crap, well, we got to save. We're making revenue. We got to, we're making profit. We got to save that. And guys like me who are running departments and helping them get better, but you can't really go, that guy makes us a million dollars a month. You're, 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 you're on the block, you know? So they just, they, they consolidated the, the middle management level and the director level. That's where my job went. I had a nice set. They took very good care of me out the door. I have no, no bad things to say about them. Um, but with that being said, I started to go, well, what am I going to do? I started, I literally interviewed for a job a month after, um, a huge job. I mean, it would have been to pay me like 75% more than I've been making. And I remember sitting in the, I'd gone through like 400 interviews. I mean, I swear it was like, dude, seriously, do I need to meet the janitor too? Um, <laughs> but finally, they, great. They, finally <laughs> they fly me up to me. Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, he had a great room too, by the way. Um, but, uh, nice. they flew me up to me. <laughs> they, they flew me up to Minnesota. <laughs> They flew me up to Minnesota and I interview, you know, I'm in the room doing all this, you know, firing squad interview, fun stuff. Six people sitting around a room table with me and I go to, and I'm sitting in the airport leaving and I'm like, I don't really even want to do this. Like, what am I doing? You know, like, cool. I'm going to double dip and make a gazillion dollars, but who cares? And then I started really doing like, what is it about? Like, do you give a crap about money? No, but everybody else does. So I need to make it. So unfortunately, they won't just give me a house and let me live here with electricity and feed me and my kids and pay for my car and all that without me actually like somebody paying me for it. I don't care about money. Like I legitimately don't care about it, but I have to have it. So I guess I have to care about it. So taking something that you love and assigning capitalistic like value to it is gross at a certain level like i just this is just art you know it's like something to make the world a better place it's what i do it's my representation of me and i have to like get money for it but then i started to realize hey it's right so let's back up a little bit before we talk more about what you're doing now as a kid did you have anyone that you could go to confide in did you have any extended family any friends or friends family or was it mainly you were just kind of out there on your own? Kind of out there on my own. I had grandparents, but I wouldn't dare talk to them about like the truth of what was going on because then they would say something to my father and that would get back to me and it would be a very, very bad situation for me. So yeah, so I internalized most everything. Um, another thing to tell you is that I changed my, I literally changed elementary schools every year. Until I went to the same school two years in a row, seventh and eighth grade. That was the first time I went to this, walked through the same doors two years in a row. So what was the, what was the reasoning behind that? You, 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 you and I could get a dartboard with reasons and throw them and the, either any guess that you and I hit will, will be perfectly acceptable to me. Um, I went to all these private schools. We didn't, it's not like I was going to public school and we moved every year and like a new bus came to get me. I was going to private schools. I, I mean, I got no answer for you on that one. It, it was, um, you know, in an unstable home with an unstable schooling. And I mean, just, I'm somebody that really craves stability. And, and as I look at it, that's the reason why. So I, you know, I'm amazed that I turned out with like a sense of ethics and morals that I have, you know, without any real guidance, but at the same time, yeah, it, 
I made sense of a lot of the world on my own because I really didn't have anyone to ask. So yeah, good. Definitely stuff. sounds like it. And then, so you said you found music basically on your own because no one in your family is musical. Mm-hmm. And not really. I mean, intrinsic yeah. ability probably, but oh, no yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. I play piano, grab a guitar, let's jam, you know, nothing. Like exactly. That. Like my dad played piano. He has um, a degree in music. So of course, when I'm five, six, you're going to play the piano, you know, and hence the keyboard behind me. Um, so I had all of, you know, the lessons and the theory and all of that kind of stuff. And I definitely don't, I'm not mad about that. I'm very glad that I had all of that, but that wouldn't have been my chosen path for myself. And then coming out of, you know, high school, everybody's like, oh, you're going to go do music. I'm like, no, that's not my thing. So I am always interested in someone who found it and then like, that's their passion. That's their love. Um, as much as it is. And then having done it, sounds like basically all of your life and it still is that thing. It's just, I don't know. I love it. It, 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 we all have that thing. It's just, some of us are lucky enough to find it and recognize it when we find it. And others of us turn our head because it's not cool, accepted. That can't possibly mean be me. You know, I'm lucky that I got something that people find cool as my thing, but you know, for some people it's curling, you know, like, like, yo, I'm the world's greatest curler. Like that's that you're not lighting up anybody's, you know, excitement with that. But that person found curling and got really good at it, you know, more power to them. Like the world should be filled with people. Right. Like who are we to judge someone's thing? Like if that's what makes them happy, then heck yeah, go for it. Like be the best curler you can be. I don't know. We watch it on the Olympics. Like, yeah, exactly. So coming out of the marriage when you started do doing work on yourself talk a little bit about that what that looked like that process that kind of thing oh boy that was ugly that was ugly nasty ugly horrible ugly 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 um i don't know that there is a pretty way to go through shedding layers and layers of crap off of you um in in very very mild terms very mild terms um people want easy people want simple people want you know um the the the, the path of least resistance people want the free people want the simple unfortunately nobody learns anything from that crap you know um soft landing is great because you know, next time you get up there, you'll just have another soft landing, right? Um, I found that through life, I mean, I've always been kind of intense, I guess. I'm a nice guy, but I'm super intense. Um, so for me, solving the problem was finding the problem. And I knew the problem was far deeper than, hi, you know, let me sit down and think about, you know, like, I had read book upon book upon book. I had gone with psychology. I had gone with, you know, spirituality. I had gone with the mixture of the two. I had read everything. Oh, do this, do this. I had tried this. I had tried that. I had tried all these little cute things. And they just didn't work because they were not, they didn't speak to me. 
they spoke to someone that wasn't dealing with significant what I later determined to be some some chemical deficiencies and imbalances up there that make me think differently and make me process information differently and make things hit me differently. That coupled with the environmental factors that I grew up in just exacerbated what was already there. Most of my artist friends are highly sensitive and get very upset over very little. We're just kind of in tune with that. I think that's how we're able to say what we say with our art, but it also comes with a very um, sharp edge that is you feel really deeply, you know, like it hits you and it hits you hard. Um, that's the, the tortured artist, you know, that's the idea behind it is, you know, hey, everything is so amplified, but that gives me the ability to share it with you, right? And I grew up, I know it wasn't recognized, you know, so when I got to be older, I had just been carrying everything. I had no way to expel any of it. And if you think of it like a bucket where I collected all of these horrible experiences with no one to tell me it was okay that I had just been through that and that it was going to be fine tomorrow for me to just have to believe my entire life that tomorrow was going to be better, you know, that I'm going to wake up and it's going to be, a, you know, the sun's going to come out like Annie and all that good stuff. It, it you know, sure the sun came out but it got darker every day a little bit you know it, it had a tinge to it where even when everything was great i was waiting for the other shoe to fall i was legitimately throughout the course of my life everything's too good something is bound to come in and blow everything up any minute now because that's just what i was accustomed to you know i wasn't everything every time something went bad it seemed to be a huge situation it wasn't just a it's cool no big deal. You know, I'd spill a drink and be berated for it as a child. You know, it was that kind of a thing. So I was king of eggshells, you know, which, by the way, I'm parenting. We can get into that, too, you know, at some point because I'm abs. None of that crap. You know, I'm you know, it stops here. Right. Um, you know, so. We are all triggered. Things happen that trigger us. I'd go through life constantly triggered. Something would happen. Ah, ah, ah. You know, my, my heart's going a million miles a minute every minute because something around me is. Ah. First thing I had to do was learn to breathe, learn to get away from my brain. And that's where the meditation came in. It was just mindfulness meditation. I really, I didn't come into it like, oh, I'm, you know, sitar music and somebody with robes on and, you know, or no, it was, hey, Dave, guess what? For five minutes, you're going to pick a spot in your breath and you're going to focus on that. And every time your brain grabs you and you notice your brain grabs you, just go back to paying attention to what you want to pay attention to. And at the beginning, it was three minutes of pizza toppings and tomorrow at work. And did I remember to, to close the door? And then, oh, wait, my breath. And then I'd come back real quick. And then, you know, I'm off to, you know, my favorite corn on the cob toppings and, you know, kind of food centric here, but, but, but I digress. And so for me, first it was meditation, understanding I'm not my thoughts. My thoughts are not me. My thoughts are, my thoughts are like a lung, a heart, uh, uh, any sort of involuntary reaction that's going to happen. So why am I having these involuntary reactions? Okay. They manifest as triggers as these physical manifestations of these things. So, Hey, you're going to solve a problem. What's the damn problem? Like, don't solve, don't, don't, don't put a little bit of, hey, we're just, you're, you're going to be okay tomorrow. No, what, what's wrong? Like, what's really wrong? Like, do I want to keep pulling bodies out of the river? Or do I want to go up river and figure out why they keep ending up in there in the first place? So when I realized I had triggers and I realized they weren't me and I realized my thoughts weren't who I was, that I was really the soul inside of me that was this beautiful, bright, shining human being that was unfortunately pounded and just like held down by the weight of a million anchors 
the only way out is to understand and to solve and to heal, right? And, and first thing you have to do is you have to know what to heal. So every time I became triggered, one of the main things I learned at the beginning was every time I became triggered was to kind of go, like if I was at work, mark it, breathe it out, because it would freak me out and go home. And then when I get home, depending on if I had my kids or not, um, I would go and I would walk for hours. Just walk, walk, walk. Um, I'd have something in my hands just to keep me grounded. And I would just dig and I would let, most of us oppress, we, we, we repress, we push down. We go, yo, bad thought. What that does, it keeps the energy in us. It keeps the feeling, it keeps the emotion there because what we're doing is we're re-experiencing the emotion of that moment over and over again. Well, it's because you didn't follow it through, right? That's, that's the way I saw it was I needed to follow through these traumas that I would have followed through had I had somebody to sit and talk to about them and be made to understand what it was I was actually seeing instead of, no, you're a horrible human being because this small thing happened that I told myself and then adjusted everything I did from that moment forward because I interpreted it as such. So I had to literally, every time I got triggered, I, I looked at what triggered me and then I would just start digging. And I don't know exactly how I did this, but what I would do is just let thought after thought come up. And if it felt bad, I'd go, okay, well, what's behind that? And what's behind that? And I just learned to allow my thoughts to come up. And the only way I did that was through meditation, was learning to observe, learning to sit back and let thoughts be, as opposed to having to like meddle with every single one of them. Instead of you know, thoughts are cars on a road, do I have to get into every one of them? Can't I just sit on the sidewalk and watch them go by? Can I walk into a, into a room, have a conversation with you with a television on and pay no attention to the television? You know, that's the distraction that we have in every moment, right? You know, so it's, it's it, you, it's when you take it out of this like spiritual practice and just make it like, yo, you're working out your brain, just like you're working out your arms and your legs, like you do five, seven days a week, like your brain needs work, just like your heart does. Your heart's voluntary. We don't, I don't make my heart beat, but I need to keep it. I need to keep it in good shape. I don't make my brain have thoughts, but I certainly need to keep it in good shape. And God, if I wish I had learned this 30 years ago when I was 10 and someone would have said, hey, that crazy stuff going on in there, it's cool. Don't worry about it. We all have got it. Some of us get hits harder, but if you do this, maybe you can cope with it a little bit easier. Meditation is my medication. I mean, I've always said that. Like, this is, this is the thing that keeps me sane, you know? If, if thoughts come up, I literally have tricks I could just go to and bring my attention away from my thoughts because that's really what you learn to do is take your attention away from your thoughts. Um, so digging, going back, as I went through, I became very present to kind of my issues. And when you're present to them, then you can actually address them. You know, someone's got a snotty nose. You don't, oh, here, here's some, here's, here's a Kleenex. You're going to be better. No, you're not. You're just going to be able to wipe your nose, right? Like you have to, you have to treat the problem. So by going to all of these experiences and finding the root and allowing myself to be there and then going into that, you know, kind of the inner familial stuff, going in and going to little Dave who was stuck there at seven years old, who got embarrassed, who from that moment on, every time I got in that situation, I became a nervous wreck because all I had was the memory of seven-year-old me standing in front of a class and having X happen. And that's what triggers are, is just, yo, Fear, beep, beep, red alert, red alert, run, run, run. This is bad. This is going to lead to that thing that happened last time. And this is why we're all so damn risk averse and why we're all so anxious and freaked out by the world because we think that when we were five and our fly was down that it's always, it's always going to happen when we're standing in front of people. So we're never going to stand in front of people again, right? Or something like that, right? It's just these tiny little things. I mean, they turn into life. If you talk to anybody who uh, I can't speak in front of people, 
chances are you're going to find a situation where they were speaking in front of people and something happened and that's why they can't speak in front of people anymore you know so for me it was understanding the triggers are really protections and getting to know them and being friends with them as opposed to hating them um so is this the first point sorry is this the first point in your life that you realized there was something different the way your brain was wired or no this was the first time I gave myself a break for for being different and being wired differently. I've always been weird as hell and never fit in, never fit in. Oh no. Till I found the weirdo, weirdo creative people. I did not fit in at all. I'm like, why do these people like that stuff? And I'm like, that is lame. Just had to find um, like no, kind. never. I've always, I've always been like the purple sheep. I mean, I'm just, I'm just out there. I've always been really out there. Um, you know, so, uh, for me, it's always been fine. I, I don't do good pretending like I can't, like, I can't put on a veneer and like, I, I do my best at work in corporate situations, but even then it comes out and I'm just like, I'm the guy in the meeting and everyone's like, what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it, it's always been like that. I've always been kind of oddball, you know? So I, uh, so to that point, you don't get me. So why the hell should I even talk to you about anything going on with me? That, you know, that narrative ran for a long time. Nobody gets me. Nobody has a brain this crazy active. No one possibly deals with what I deal with. No one could absolutely ever have the kind of crazy thoughts that I have and, you know, have to manage them on a daily basis. And then I read a book and went, oh, crap. I'm not that special in that regard. And that's actually comforting. And that was when I started to become a little bit more like, okay, with like, okay, maybe you, maybe this is manageable. Maybe you can come out of this on the other side. And, and I'm living proof that if you're 40 and you don't want to be the way you are, you can change it. You absolutely can. It, there's no point in life where you're stuck. That BS about your brain being hardwired at what, 16 or 18 is nonsense, you know? So, you know, for me, it was finding those, it was finding those triggers. It was a lot of writing. It was every time I felt upset, I just sat and I wrote and I, you know, I'm not like journal, you should journal. It just felt good for me to have someone to talk to that wasn't going to talk back. So that's what my Google docs was. I just open up my computer and just type 10, 20 minutes and I'd be done. I haven't even read any of them. I don't know what any of them say. I'm sure they are pathetic. There's probably a whole bunch of really sad lyrics and goth like books in there, but I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Um, but they've served a purpose, which was expelling emotion. I think in order to be free, you have to get rid of, right? You have to let go. And the only way to let go is to process. You can't just pretend like it's not there because it is there. It's in the shadows. It's, it's directing everything you do, every reaction you have, everything you hear goes through this, this prism that changes the way what what's in your intent and people's intention is determined by you because of your past experiences. It's not good. It, it ruins everything in life. Essentially it's, I love it because it's there to protect me, but at the end of the day, it really held me back more than anything. Yeah. The analogy I've heard on that is like, if you're imagine your life is this path and then some kind of trauma comes along and, maybe, you know, kind of blows it up and everything goes up in the air and falls back down. And a lot of people want to just like, just start building on top of that. Right. And it remains unstable because what you really need to do is you got to kind of clear all that stuff away, which is painful and the work. 
and then, you know, build back on something that's, that's more stable for yourself. But that's what you just described is, yeah. My analogies is, uh, you can't paint over rust. You have to sand it down. You, you cannot, you can paint over it, but it's going to eat right through. That's the one that is, I use nonstop to describe this. Um, I needed to sand Bondo duct tape, you know, get a guy named Bubba to come help me. I needed all that. Um, that was the other thing is I'd done everything my, on my own through life. You know, I, I don't feel like my parents really set me up for success. I feel like I set myself up for success by not accepting anything less than it for myself. And so, you know, being able to trust someone else with my emotions and, and being able to trust someone to actually have my best interests and not just, you know, want my money or, or want to just, you know, make me feel like crap or, you know, tell me I was stupid because I thought these things or, or anything like that. It, it took a tremendous amount of trust and, and comfort with that because I was a very skeptical, be very closed and C just very wounded. So you add those things together and it's not someone that's like, oh gosh, if only I could find someone to talk to right now. No, it's like middle fingers to the world. Screw everybody. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home, you know? So coming through a lot, but what I found was as time went on, I was able to realize how much of a freak I was. And I say that in the most loving way. Um, but I was, my life was run by anxiety. And, and fear. My life was run by needing to make sure that I had a plan for every possible thing that would come up. And the more I spent time looking at it, the more I realized that none of those damn possible things ever came up. So I spent an inordinate amount of time, effort, energy, and mental capacity planning for shit that never happened. And because of that, I drove myself and everyone around me absolutely bonkers. So I started to go, Dave, why do you even care? Because everything that's happened in your life, you've dealt with as it happened, and you've dealt with it very well. So what are you sitting around? And these, this is when I started to make progress. When I started to look at, when I started to be real with myself and not be like this with myself, mean, critical, you suck, you did a horrible job. But like, yo, you don't know anything. All you know is behaviors that a child built to survive. You don't know how to like expand upon that and let go of what's worked and learn how to like make things work for you now that you're an adult and you don't have overlord parents over you and you don't have you're not made to feel like crap after everything you do and so i started to understand like maybe you are a good person maybe you do have something to say maybe people do want to be around you maybe you are worth helping maybe people aren't out to get you all of these things and as time goes on i started to believe them interestingly enough I had gratitude for the things I had because I got them myself, damn it. And they were good. Even the floor I was standing on. Hey, look, I got carpet. That's good. Happy day. You know, look, air conditioner's on. Yay. I paid the bill. You know, happy day. Instead of, oh, I've, I have to watch these kids half the time by myself and make them food and get them to school. And it's so hard. Instead of, dude, I'm glad I have kids, you know, because I get to hang out with them all the time and they're great. Like, I forced myself. I had to force that because I was a negative Nancy. All these things kind of happened at once. They coalesced to meet in this little witch's cauldron of happiness. And I started to feel peace because I knew that I could not cultivate happiness without cultivating peace first. And it had to be cultivated. It wasn't just going to happen. 
Yeah. It's, it's hard to, we talk about all the time how we, I mean, you definitely don't want, don't wish hardships on yourself, but why not learn from it? Learn how tough you are. You know, humans are pretty amazing individuals. And I think there are just so many people out there that either cop out or like, that's hard. So I don't want to do it. So they never become the best version of themselves. And, but when you actually do the work, you process the junk and then you build back up. It's like kind of amazing, you know, just like you said, just a flip in the mind, uh, the mindset to a more positive outlook. And that will open you up to so many more things. The other side is we have a very, um, we have a TikTok mentality in this country and in this world where we want instant gratification and we have 30 seconds. And if we don't, if something's not happening in 30 seconds, we're flipping up. And this is not, this is not something that, 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 uh, you know, comes with the ability to be impatient. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. And it, I look back at five years and go, holy crap. But then I remember it one year looking back and going, wow, that was a lot. Holy crap. And then two years looking back and going, holy, wow. You know, and every year it's been like, I feel like right. And I've said this a hundred times probably, but I feel like right now, I think, I think I've hit the last pieces. I became addicted to this in a very positive way, not in a, you know, that kind of a, yeah, you're going to get better, you know? Yeah, no, but I, as I started to see results, it's like working out or anything else. As you see results, you become addicted to the fact that you're getting results. But I had to work through that first two or three weeks at the gym where all you do is you you can't – every time you make a move, you're uh, 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 you can't oh, – you, you laugh and it hurts and you walk upstairs. You're like, no. You know, that's what it is. You have to get through that part to when you see a result, you're like – the, the thing is, don't get complacent. Oh, you know, I had a result. That must be because it's all working and I'm good. No, you have to keep going, like going to the gym. You're not going to get big and strong just because you went for a month and, you, you, you know, you feel a little better and you can get up that flight of stairs without being out of breath. Oh, I'm good now. No, no, you have to keep going. So to your point, you get through the hard stuff, but I wouldn't be I, – I don't know – I, it scares the crap out of me to think about what my life would be like had I not taken this on the way I did, when I did, and how I did. My relationships are beyond anything I could have fathomed five years ago. Um, my relationship with myself is I, – I, I, <laughs> I don't even have the words for that. I mean, I legitimately did not think much of myself five years ago. I thought I was worthless. I mean, legitimately worthless. Um, you know, if your parents, you know, my, my, so kind of going back to the parent thing, um, my, my dad, um, you know, I moved out when I was 17. They didn't give me a dime, didn't really do much to help me. Um, nothing at all, really. You know, I got myself a Pell Grant. I got myself a scholarship. I got myself work. I did all those things. My dad they loaned me $500 to buy a car once, and then I didn't pay him back quick enough, and, they, and we didn't talk for a year because he wouldn't talk. It was just, it, it just petty. And, and then um, I went over. I got married in April of 
of uh, 2000 and I went over around Father's Day. Uh, my ex and I went over around Father's Day in 2000. Um, and that was the first time that he like actually kind of spoke to me like I was a, an adult or like a somewhat, I don't know, within the same vicinity as him, you know, and I wasn't just some pathetic, you know, underling you know, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and then he died in a car accident like two weeks later, you know, um, and so three months after my marriage, my dad dies in a car accident and my mom who has remarried him two or three times and grew up in an abusive household, uh, herself as a child, um, and only knew my dad and all this went, went ape dealing with, um, myself being the strong one. I'm dealing with a brother who's fallen apart. I'm dealing with a mom who's gone completely psycho. I'm dealing with my own needs because I don't have anybody to, 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 to lean on. My ex is not suitable or capable of being someone who's like, Hey, your dad just died. You know, you're good. Take, take whatever you need. Be, you know, not, not, not built for that. And at, so all those things happen. And now I have all this unresolved with him. And then, so throughout the course of my adult life, my mother, six months after my dad dies in a head on car, car accident decides to start riding a motorcycle. tells me in her driveway three months after my dad dies and her crazy psycho psycho crazy i'm done raising my kids i'm done you know i'm 22 23 my brother's 20. you know it, it, it never stopped so like i'm even more alone now right so i mean it and, and i got <laughs> i i have a book or two in me because it just goes and goes. And there's a lot before, there's a lot after. My mother got herself into all kinds of crazy situations. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? Are, are you really calling me and telling me this? Like over and over again. And I managed to keep my mental health somewhat, some semblance of mental health. But again, the bucket's only so big. I have a big bucket, but it, it exploded when the marriage fell apart. I mean, it exploded. I, I, so, you know, having no one to go to has always been a thing. So for me, it really like getting to the point where I have, I feel comfortable about myself. You know, my mom basically disowned me after my father died. My mom, I wouldn't talk to her. I'd call her like every, you know, after I got divorced, my, my mother barely talked to, you know, like it wouldn't call. You just didn't, I have to call her. Well, I don't know when you work. I have this, I've had the same work schedule for 25 years like you're the one who's on disability and sits around all day and does nothing like you really don't know when to call me and check on your son to make sure he's okay i just gave up at some point like it's it's part of this happiness was giving up and not having any expectation of anyone not thinking that my parent was ever going to be a parent not thinking that my brother was ever going to be different than who he is and it's actually pretty satisfying when you stop expecting people to be anything different than what they are and you just kind of okay that's all you know like you're good for you're good for this and that's cool still love you you know and it's it does make it no no it just makes it easier to sort of like i don't know accept that hey you're just going to be that you know and this is what i have yeah rob and i have had these conversations recently um just after some different circumstances but not putting an unnecessary expectation on a human to do or be something specific. Like you can't control others. 
especially family members or close friends, you know, so you have to control your reaction to how they are. And then at some point you have to draw a boundary because if it's going to bring you down, is it worth it? Like, yeah, you know, your sister's always going to be your sister. Your dad's always going to be your dad and so on and so forth. But if it is causing you to be less than your best self by being around them in certain capacities, then that needs to be reassessed. And it doesn't mean cut them off and never speak to them ever again. It just means reevaluate these things. I mean, just like certain people need to reevaluate alcohol and even exercise and food, certain things in their lives, people are the same way. And that's been, that's been a hard lesson. I realized at one point that I was the one that fixed everything all the time. And I realized, screw you guys, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, if y'all want to talk to me, you can call me. You can have a nice big fat of bowl of crow. I will give you a spoon and you can eat it right in front of me. And you're going to eat big bites of it right in front of me or I'm not going to talk to you, period. I'm not going to be the one to go, hi, I know you're a jerk wad to me, but I'm still, I want to talk. No, no, no. No, I, I value and respect myself way too much to do that at this point. I've always been that guy because I didn't value myself enough. Like, oh, well, I must have done something. No, screw that. You did it. It's on you. You fix it. Yeah. Family or not. It gets difficult. Um, one of the things I know is that the more intimate the relationship, the more like easy it is for us to have those emotional triggers. Like, I don't care about the dude at the 7-Eleven that I passed by as much as I care about the woman that I learned the same roof as or my kids or whatever. And I think, you know, I have this saying is you got to let people be who they are. It just gets really hard when it's like a parent or a child or a spouse or a close friend or whatever. It's like you stop seeing them as like, that's an adult. They're responsible for themselves. They, you know, they need to be able to both make their own decisions and, and feel the either positive or negative consequences of their own actions and it's very difficult sometimes to not just not keep standing in the way and taking some of the brunt from their bad choices um, because you love them, you care about them. Or, I mean, there was a period of your life where they were a parent. And when you're a kid, it's like you should go through this phase where your parents are invincible and perfect and all these kinds of things. And then as you become an adult yourself, you start to realize this is still just another human being with all of their flaws and everything else. And I think the other reality that sets in is, you know, the three of us here have done a lot of work out of the trauma, different types of trauma that we came through. We actually did a lot of that work to process, clear the path, sand down the rust, whatever you want to say, and then repaint over it. And not everyone has done that or even wants to. And so then it's like, you're talking into a situation where you don't even have the same vocabulary with this person. So even the things that you think you would offer as advice or help, they don't even have a category for it because they just haven't actually like gone on the journey. So it's just, it's just really hard in those circumstances to just go, well, I just got to let this person be, you know, where they, I was doing so much reading um, in the last couple of days around a situation I'm going through around just like 
you know, how do you help someone who doesn't want to help themselves? You know, and that's a big part of it is just like, all you can do is just either lead by example. So hopefully it opens an opportunity that you're close enough to them that they'll hit a place where they actually ask the question and then you can offer it. Um, but it's just that thing until people are really ready to make a change, then all the talking and pushing and prodding and encouragement is just going to fall on deaf ears. I think if you dig into it psychologically, the ego, you have to see the ego as not fully serving you in order to understand that you have to have a conversation with yourself about what you're doing. Because the ego is so dead set on being right all the time that until you understand that it is a drunk toddler running around in your head, marching around like Napoleon, giving you orders all the time, and you're now taking orders from a drunk toddler with Napoleon complex, you think of it as God. It's this all-seeing, all-powerful oracle that's in your head that it must know because it just talks. Well, when you sit back and you listen, you realize all it's doing is trying to get your damn attention. Like, it's crazy. It's psycho. It's psycho. And the more you understand it's psycho, the less of a grasp it has on you. And then to your point, that's when the cracks in the armor start to appear. And people go, maybe, maybe all this stuff I've been doing, maybe some of it hasn't really been me. You know, I always, how many of us get into these situations where we act a certain way and then 10 minutes later, we're like, man, that just wasn't me. Like what happened? Like something took over an ego, you know, whatever. Like that's the part the day hey, now go look at that. Cause that's a part of you. You need to go like get to know, because then you can, if I know something, I can anticipate it. I can manage it. I can deal with it. I can hug it when it needs hugs. So it doesn't go and go crazy and tear up the living room because it wants you to notice, you know? at the end of the day, if we become friends with these problems, these traumas, we understand that they're, they're there and we aren't scared of them, then we can learn to channel that energy and not be burdened by it because really the burden is the fear of feeling what we've been avoiding our whole life. That's, that's all it is. It's running. And if we stop and we let it roll us over, then we can get back up and go, oh, that wasn't so bad after all. Just like anything else, it's mindfulness teaches us to deal in the moment. If you look at pain threshold, as a, as a needle's coming towards an arm, people feel the pain for minutes before the needle actually hits them because they're in their mind. Oh, the needle's coming, the needle's coming, the needle's coming. If you practice mindfulness, you know, at a moment, the needle's going to poke me in the arm, and until then, it's not poking me. And then they poke me, and oh, that hurt, and then it's over. There's no significant like boulder of fear, pain that comes with it, which means it's a minuscule situation. And I've learned that. And that's with all of our personal relationships and all of our, you made me feel sads and all oh, like my, my 10 year old, I love her. I could, she's just, she's just, she gets really worked up. Oh, you're going to be mad. Nobody's mad. <laughs> Nobody's going to be mad. You're just telling yourself this and breathe. I'll tell you what, when I'm mad, you can deal with it then. But until then, why create a situation and create this emotion in our, in our environment right now? I could not have had that conversation with her a few years ago. I'd be like, stop it. Ah, you know, I'd have played right into it, you know? Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a, um, a saying, there's a, a story from an ancient story 
Um, the, the story is, or the saying is that the power of the sword of Democles is not that it falls, it's that it hangs. So it's always that threat, right? And then another thing I learned recently from a psychological standpoint is um, in the story of Christianity, um, you know, we, we hear that like, you know, Christ overcame death and all this kind of thing. And the way that he did it was that he let it overtake him. And that was all that it could do. And then he, you know, if you, if you believe in the story, then he was resurrected. So it's like the worst thing that, you know, could happen. He allowed it to happen, but it wasn't enough to kill him. Right. It, he had the power over that. And I think to your point, it's a similar thing. It's like, even if it's just staring at a hard conversation that you need to have and you're avoiding it, avoiding it and avoiding it, just have the conversation. And then it turns out, like you said, Oh, well, it wasn't that bad after all. Like I can actually hear negative, uh, you know, critique of myself or um, I can actually talk to a person or, you know, I can go through a thing. And then, and then when you stand back up after the thing is rolled over you and your point now, there's an inner confidence that comes that's like, okay, that, that I can do that again. And I can do that as much as I need to. I can do that as much as I need to, to cope with this, you know, fear until it doesn't, it, it sort of uh, takes the teeth out of the, out of the dragon, so to speak, you know? Right. When I was a kid, it wasn't the thing that it wasn't getting in trouble. It was the doing the thing that got me in trouble. And so I was always scared to death to step to grab, to push, to do things because God forbid something happens and then I get in trouble for it rather than just going about living life and then just dealing with the consequences as they came. So shockingly, I turned into this freak show, risk averse, nail biting ah, anxiety ball, you know, but again, we all become what we become, but can we recognize it and be honest with ourselves about it? And if we can, that's really the beginning of the healing. Because now we can address what it is, not the soft, oh, what you're, you're okay. I am okay. I'm great. I just have some qualities that are less than stellar that I've developed over the years that were survival techniques that I made because I didn't have anything else to do and had to figure out how to make it through another day. And that's what I made and it worked. And so I kept doing it, even though it sucks to people around me. So before um, we kind of wrap things up, I have another question about kind of present day stuff. So you are doing the music thing, like in several different capacities. Is that still an outlet for you if you're having like a crap day or is there something else that's like your go-to at this point? It's a great question. Um, Cause I kind of, I kind of hinted at this earlier, which was, you know, having to turn your love into a capitalistic venture, you know, turn your art into money, you know, and that there's, it's like, I've always been like, yo, can I just like pay somebody a percentage and have them do all this so that I can just sit over here and be a, be a freaky artist and just make stuff and like, not have to worry about like, you know, wading through the sludge to, uh, to deal with it. Cause you would think, you know, you'd think that something based around something beautiful would be a little bit less like grimy, but it's actually grimier. Um, and I think it's because you have a lot of people that can't just magically figure this out. Like if you go to school to be an engineer, you can be an engineer. If you go to school for music, you can't just write music. Um, so you have a lot of people that wanted to and can't. So they try to make money off of it, just like most anything. But so 
this goes back to everything I've told you. The ability to separate the mind, the ability to understand that it's a dual purpose, you know, um, I have times like one of the things with music right now is I teach a lot. So it's actually something I love to do. I love Rob can attest to this. I, I love to just go, Hey, check this out. Well, now if somebody's gonna give me money to go, Hey, check this out. Like that's, that's an easy one for me to make sense of like super easy. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars and gazillions of hours learning all this stuff. I have an expertise and I can consult on a lot of things that I've learned over decades. I should be able to now the same time I want to help people and I have a heart to do that. And I don't want to make people pay me to do the right thing and be nice and help them out. So there is a, a bit of an intersection there that I have to get through that Rob sends me little videos every now and again and goes, Hey, here's somebody else. Just watch this so that you don't feel bad about taking people's money for the, you know, uh, or whatever. Um, so just everyone last week, actually, or a few days ago. Um, so, so, so this is a constant for me. Um, writing music though, at one point, I felt like that was how I had to make money, was making music that people would buy, and then people would show up and help me make, have me help them make music. And so at one point, making music was really icky because it was tied to this whole achievement thing. I think anything tied to achievement has a little bit of a weird sort of tinge to it because of my upbringing and because of all my lovely trauma and the things I've talked to you about during the last hour. Um, so when i made it yo let's make this about teaching and let's make this about sharing and let's make this about these things and not about like having to make great music that everybody's gonna you know like not having to achieve through my art being able to use my skill and my knowledge to achieve the financial pieces that i needed to achieve um i do go back and i do play music now and i do sit down and i i i it's it's purposeless that's I just come in here and I'll load a, a sound in or I'll go grab one of my synths and I just play. I don't hit record. I don't do anything. I just make music. And if I hit something, I will hit record and I'll follow. But I will tell you that my flow state was significantly impacted by all of this. You know, the last when I realized, yo, I'm not going to go back and, and I, I did keep looking for work eventually because I was like, well, it's, you know, it's money. It's easy money easy not right just easy there we go back to that thing again um but it's not right and the more i looked for jobs the more i was not responded to and i have 20 years experience and i just ran a 50 million in business and a team of 20 plus people like i just managed a whole transition of team to a remote and had them double their output like i got a lot of good stuff to talk to you about in my industry i'm pretty good at it i don't have anybody to talk to about it and i could sit here and i could go it's because i suck and old Dave would sit here and go, man, my life is over. I'm never going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to McDonald's and Wendy's are right there. And I'm going to go get my, get the rest of my career started. But smart Dave, confident Dave, comfortable Dave goes, Hey, we're going to turn this into something. We're going to actually try to do what, what, what we want to do and feel good about this and be able to separate it and not put the pressure on ourselves. And so it was about separating and not putting pressure on myself to make music not putting pressure on myself here, just being able to try to enjoy what I was doing and not try to get myself too wrapped up in the worry about, oh, I don't know, paying my bills and things like that. Um, so over time, making music became more fun um, because I was able to make it less about making money. But as soon as it becomes all about making money, 
it becomes less, a lot less fun because then it's like, what am I supposed to be doing instead of what am I doing? So I do still enjoy it though. I really enjoy it. Well, I mean, that's I a good love, thing. I, well, and it also sounds it like is. mindfulness is involved as well. If you can flip that switch and just be like, you know, I need some downtime. I'm just going to enjoy myself and play some music. And then, yeah, if something comes up and you're like, hey, that sounds pretty good or that's a good idea, you can, you know, kind of flip it over. But having that skill that you can kind of fall back on in this realm too just sounds invaluable. It works everywhere. I mean, it it's it's weird. I mean, you know, kind of like, you know, you see the the monk on the, the you know, the, the mountain with his garb and lives a life of, you know, away from everything and everyone and you know, you go, I want to attain that level of peace and whatever. And like, well, they don't, they're not down here dealing with all of us. So of course they're peaceful and happy and, you know, have this amazingly blessed existence. They're, they're not dealing with the garbage like you and me and everyone else. So I use it as a tool, you know, it's, I'm not trying to achieve enlightenment, although I might be through all of this unknowingly, but really and truly, this is just about making the world a little bit easier to manage and deal with. And, and hopefully show up as who I am every day instead of as this like ball of confused, horrible experience that I was before, you know, and mindfulness has just helped me be who I am right now and, and help me like thoughts come all day and I, I get pounded by them. But nowadays I don't really even hear them. People are like, oh yeah, you can stop your mind. I'm like, nope, that's not going to happen. That ain't happening. But mindfulness has just saved my butt. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, as an observer and, and as your friend, one of the things I remember us journeying through recently on, on your question, Mandy, about music being an outlet, because it really, really is Dave's outlet. Like him creating music is like how he puts his heart out into the world. And I remember, Dave, you were going through a bit of a period of a block of like, it's just, I'm sitting down and like nothing's, you know, which is frustrating because it's like, this is how I, I get, I process all these emotions. This is like my happy place and it's not feeling very happy. So from a practical standpoint, one thing I think that might help people is Dave and I actually talked through, okay, well, if me just sitting in my studio by myself and trying to write is not working, but I still want to be able to get music out. It's like, okay, well, what if I go on Twitch and just ask people for like ideas and kind of offload the creative side of it and the get out to get over the writer's block side of it. It's like, you know, if your thing is working out, it's like, well, maybe change up your workout. Or if your thing is, I don't know, whatever your outlet is, if it's like the way I'm normally doing this thing is, is it's, I'm still feeling stifled, then maybe think, try to get creative and maybe some other ways that you can bring other people in um, or, you know, a change of scenery, a change of perspective um, so that you're, it, you, you do in, introduce something new into the process to maybe kind of help you get over the hurdle. Um, and I, I can't remember Dave, if that, I mean, I know you've done the thing where you go on and you um, actually write songs like live um, on your stream and stuff. But I just remember us talking about like, well, if you're just sitting by yourself and having writer's block, what are some ways that we can like get past that so that then you can get back to the actual part that you really do love and enjoy with just the creating the music and stuff. So anyway, just a practical 
like, you know, application thing. And I'll even kind of back away from that. It was sitting down and trying to do it every day was the first thing. Instead of sitting and waking up and going, I don't feel, I don't feel this and, and going, well, you're not going to write anything that's good anyway, so why bother? I physically forced myself to come sit down and go, hey, there's a possibility something great's going to happen. Today could be the day that it happens. So instead of being pessimistic and getting eaten up by this gross energy, whatever, negativity that surrounded it or this like hurdle that I was, this challenge that I was addressing, I just went, I'm just going to keep doing this yeah. because eventually I'm it's going to exactly keep going no matter how crappy it is. Just keep going. Cause eventually the clouds apart, you'll see the path. It's again. like that day that you, you don't feel like working out and then like five, 10 minutes into whatever you're doing at thank the gym. God like, thank God today. I worked out. Thank God I worked. Yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So our new thing that we started last time is called a cockhorn quiz. It's because Murphy <laughs> Murphy can't say popcorn, so it's cockhorn. So, and of course, he's sitting right beside me saying, I want popcorn now. Um, so just a few like ridiculous questions for no good reason, just because they're fun. Um, yes, this is the cockhorn round. So what is the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Dude, what is the weirdest food? I'm not, I'm like, I'm into flavors, but I'm not going to go put in like weird stuff. Like I, I don't Any weird like combos or anything that you like to put together. <sighs> Let me just tell you what I'm dealing with. My kid thought I was weird because I had cucumber and avocado together on a sandwich. That's my point of reference. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, what? Murphy Are you kidding me right now? Nutter butters and ketchup before and wanted oh, more. Uh, um, pick, pickles and peanut butter is one. Um, we have tahine seasoning, so we're kind of putting that on everything right now. Have you had, do you have tahine, the seasoning? I don't think we have any right now, but we've had it before because we've used it. Put that on fruit, like putting that on like mango. It's, it's like chili peppers, but you put it on mango and it's amazing. I mean, that I could get behind, but pickles and ketchup or what'd you say peanut butter peanut butter peanut butter pickles and peanut butter apparently it's very good interesting so another one um would you rather live where it only snows or where the temperature never falls below 100 degrees do i have an air conditioner i'm going where it doesn't fall below 100 degrees all day long same. Rob is, is the other no, way. Oh no insulation here. Me, me freezy. I, I bring I, I carry a I carry a hoodie around with me in the dead of summer. Mandy will send postcards to Rob. Um <laughs> love you to visit, polar bear friend. Love for you to visit. Exactly. All right. So do you want to give a little plug or tell everyone your website or where they can find you on social media, that kind of thing before we close up? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I make music, obviously, uh, Dave Gluskin, um, and then Audio Trap is a group that I belong to. Music you can find everywhere, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, all that fun stuff. Um, you know, music is available for purchase everywhere. And then my uh, business is Electro Cell Studios. Um, that is uh, Electro 
sell CELL Studios, E-L-E-C-T-R-O. Um, and that website has information on myself, uh, some of the art that I do, uh, as well as my classes. Um, I offer one-on-one -on -one, uh, tutoring on uh, uh, Ableton Live, which is a, a digital audio workstation, also just general music production. Um, I'm actually teaching a uh, music theory masterclass in a couple weeks uh, on uh, Zoom virtual. It's like $50 and six, seven hours, I think, and going to basically teach. It's kind of geared towards people that don't have a musical background. So you can teach kind of how to work music without having to have studied it your whole life is essentially the point. Um, and then doing a retreat actually at the, the second week of October. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, one of, you know, someone I know who was getting private lessons for me, was just like, Oh, it'd be cool to just hang out for a weekend and just pay you to come over and spend time. And I'm like, well, why don't I just get an Airbnb and charge a bunch of people to come over and we just sit in a room and for two days, just, to help them realize their music and i threw it out there and i'm gonna cap it at 10 i think i've got five or six at this point and i didn't even do a tremendous amount of marketing haven't paid for any advertising anything like that um so it's it's been huge for me as far as just knowing that that, that it's this might actually work which is crazy um and then i also do mastering and, and and mixing services and also kind of work with people here in the studio or virtually to um uh, to help them realize their music, help them make their music. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of an engineer slash co-producer as well. So a little bit of everything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my baby right now. Awesome. And we will, we'll put links to everything in the show notes too. Um, but thanks for listening to the empower podcast. Thanks Dave for spending time with us today and sharing some of your story. Um, we, we hope that everybody enjoyed learning more about the mind body and spirit connection and how that looks in uh, practical terms. And then if you enjoyed listening, then just be sure to like subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow along on social media at Mandy empower. And until next time. Bye.